Hello everyone, I want to welcome you back to our our series on faith. This is our fourth message. And um, the message today is entitled, What Doest Thou Hear? What Doest Thou Hear? Our scripture reading will be taken from 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 15. Elijah flees to Sinai. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent his message to Elijah, May the gods strike me and even kill me, if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you, just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judea, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've, I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors, who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and food gave him enough strength to travel forty days and forty nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. A mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, tore down your altars, and killed one of your prophets. And killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. 
and now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Thus saith the word of the Lord. The story is told in the autobiography of Charles Spurgeon about a little child living with his grandparents for whom his grandfather was the pastor of a little country church. There was a prominent member of that church who was in the habit of going to, to church only occasionally. One day, the small boy stepped into a shop where this inconsistent man was sitting. The boy walked up to him and said, What doest thou here, Elisha? It was the turning point of this man's life. I believe this is the question that confronts us in our pilgrim journey. Where do we go and what kind of lives do we live? In the moments when our voluntary choice determines our action, Elijah, like all of us, come to the crossroad in our lives. When we are confronted with decisions that we need to make, let us see how Elijah dealt with these decisive questions. So who was Elijah? His name means the Lord is my God. The message of life matches his name. It still does today. Not only do we see evidence of treaded throughout the portions of the old scripture, but we also find mention of him sprinkled in the New Testament as well. His name, Elijah. So who was Elijah? What did he accomplish? As a person, what was he like? How did his fate intertwine with his everyday living? And how does he impact us? Elijah was a prophet. Elijah's message and the meaning of his name go together like fresh glass of milk and warm cookies. He walked, talked, and encouraged others to believe that truly the Lord was God, just as his name claimed. As a prophet, he adamantly shared God's message and warnings. Often both came under fire. Sometimes, however, people turned from the false gods and found themselves in deep worship of the Holy One. Elijah came near to the people and said, How long will you waver between two sides? Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. People did not say a word. Elijah was a man who hear God. Time after time in scripture we see people leaning their ear toward the Almighty. Including Elijah on the list. 
call a man who heard God. Peppered throughout 1 Kings 17 to 22, as well as in 2 Kings verses 1 and 2, 1 and 2 we see instances of Elijah leaning his ear. Then the word came to him, 1 Kings 17.2. He came to the cave there and camped there. And behold, Yahweh's words came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah was a man who walked in obedience. Multiple times God directed Elijah to speak hard truths. Truths for provisions when circumstances seem bleak. Or stand firm in the faith of God's promises being fulfilled. Time and time again, Elijah sets the example of loyal obedience to God our Father. So he went and did according to Yahweh's words. For he went and lived by the brook of Shermit, that is before the Jordan. First Kings seventeen five. So he rose and went to Zarephath. First Kings seventeen ten. Elijah was a man who experienced God's provision. Elijah drank in God's premises and found his needs quenched by the Almighty's hand. Some instances is when he was fed by the raven. Handful of flour and a few drops of oil multiplied for miraculous sustenance. Elijah ran with energy far beyond human capability. See, God's provision displayed powerfully and beautifully in the life of Elijah. These instances and others can easily turn our eyes towards our Father's love healing and wisdom and provision as well you shall drink from the brook i've commanded the ravens to feed you there the ravens brought him bread and meat in the mornings and bread and meat in the evenings and he drank from the brook elijah was a prayer warrior we see Elijah in communion with God many times throughout the Old Testament. He sets an example for us in our walk of faith. He stands as a voice encouraging all to grab prayer and be a warrior, to know the Lord is God and to follow him and follow him. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Elijah expected miracles. We see miracles threaded throughout Elijah's life and life in ministry. He stood as a man who trusted God, one who anticipated God fulfilling his promises. Bull offering, a bull offering doused in water enough to overflow and fill the surrounding trench provided no match for the fire of God. 
Then Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stone, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. Elijah was brave. The message Elijah championed ran clear and seemingly easy, but not everyone wanted to hear its contents. Jezebel stands at the front of that line. She sought out and put prophets of God to death. Meanwhile, her husband, King Ahab, allowed it and simply continued worshipping Baal. An unwelcome message, however, did not deter Elijah. He bravely championed God Almighty and the message given from above. Even when those messages offered challenges, correction, or bad news for the one receiving them, he answered, It is I. Go tell your Lord Elijah is here. Elijah hated and confronted evil. Jezebel coaxed her husband, King Ahab, into Baal worship versus God worship. Ahab did evil in the eyes of the Lord, forsaking the Lord's commandments. It was an ugly scene in Israel. Entered Elijah, God sent him to offer hard words to bring accountability and warning. Where both proved Jew and to champion belief in the Almighty. Elijah was a man who held beliefs when situation turned dim. Many times Elijah found himself in seemingly dimming situation, but he held belief. When promises reigned, remained silent. Elijah held belief, sending his servant to check the horizon seven times. Just as God promised, it rained. God's promise remains true for us today. Elijah ran in fear. At times it's easy to hold a perception that folks like David, Moses, and Dayton Paul loom larger than life. But they struggled with emotions. Elijah wrestled as well. His life rang authentic. The man who stood in, in solid obedience and courage also ran in fear. Throughout 1 Kings 19, we see Elijah grappling and battling with fear. But we also see God. As Elijah turns focus to the Lord, the scene changes. The fear clawing and scratching dissolved. So yes, Elijah ran in fear, but he also found courage in the Lord. Elijah faced discouragement. When I read 1 Kings 19, 19's account of Elijah fleeing from the evil clutches of Jezebel, I breathe a sigh of relief. The sigh isn't birthed by the fact that Elijah fled or that Jezebel tossed her evil threat his way. After all, who takes lightly the threat of murder? 
The sigh rises from yet another realization that Elijah was a real person, facing authentic human emotions, discouragement, or as has been in the battle cry for many of us. Reading Elijah's account reassures us that we are not alone. Even a prophet, a strong man of faith, faced his torrent, but the waters of discouragement failed to overtake him. Our man of faith found God's direction, provision and correction. He found strength to squelch and overcome discouragement. Elijah was tempted by small vision, was tempted by small vision. How easy it is to view life through the lens of human vision. We often see our situation as they are as they appear. Not how they can be or simply make assumptions based on circumstances. Elijah proved no different. Small vision focused of the human mankind, assured he was the only follower of God left. But everyone had fallen to the worship of false god, Baal. That proved far from the truth. In 1 Kings 19.18, we see mention of 7,000 Israelites who refused to bow a knee to Baal. Elijah was not alone as he supposed. We can trust the vision of our Heavenly Father. Elijah was taken up to heaven. One moment he walked this earth, the next he's taken to heaven. Elijah's successor, watch it unfold. I often wondered what emotions Elijah encountered at that moment. Elijah left a legacy. When Elijah departed earth, a legacy remained. Elisha, the prophet clung to Elijah. We receive a double portion of a result of being present when Elijah departed. Elijah went on to champion the message of God Almighty and no other. Elijah's, Elijah's, Elijah's legacy continued. Elijah appeared before Jesus. Imagine the view. Elijah standing alongside Moses, the two conversing with Jesus. A hush holiness washed over me when I consider it. Elijah didn't have to imagine. Peter, Peter, John, and James witnessed the spiritual wonder. Jesus was about to experience the jeers of many, the pain of crucifixion. The three together, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus represents fulfillment of the promised salvation. Moses symbolized the law. Elijah represents the prophets, the restoration of all things. We know that Jesus fulfilled the plan of salvation beautifully. The Lord cared for Elijah. 
Elijah's victory and Jezebel's anger. Elijah had fallen into the mood of depression, which so often follows great nervous tensions. He had just ordered the sacrifice on Mount Carmel and brought all Israel back to the Lord. And Jezebel had lashed out and threatened his life. The usually undaunted prophet in reaction after his great effort was fearful for his life and deserted his work, flung himself in solitude and shook the dust off his feet against Israel. And you know that's what Christians ought to do. Separate themselves from the world. But the voice came, What doest thou here, Elijah? Go back to your work to Ahab, to Jezebel. Go back to death if need be. Do not avoid your duty on the pretense of separating yourself from the world. The question that we are confronted with is, what is the duty of Christians? Separation from an evil work. I believe we can get some clarity to this question. A biblical principle seen throughout the scripture is that we are to be in the world but not of the world. We see this principle in the parable of the wheat and the tears. In telling the story, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came and bore grains, then the weeds appeared also. And the servant of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest than gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into the barn. The essence of the message is not so much the purity or non-purity of the church, as of this inseparable intertwining of in the world of Christians with others. What is crucial for us to see is this, is that the roots are matted together. You cannot pull up a tear without danger of pulling up a wheat stalk that has gotten interlaced with it. That is but to say that society at present and the earthly form of the kingdom of God are not organized on the basis of religious similarity, but upon a great many other things such as family, kindred, business, a thousand ties of all sorts which bind men together and make it undesirable, impossible, contrary to God's intention 
that the good people should club themselves together and leave the bad ones to rot and stink. The two are meant to be in close contact. Let both grow together till the harvest. Elijah, like Jonah, needed to understand this principle. The good news must be preached to the just and the unjust. God is not happy with the death of sinners. Therefore, his common grace is available to all. If any Christian man were to do as the monks of, of old did, fly into solitude to look after his own soul, then the question which came to Elijah would be suitable to him. What doest thou here? Is there not work for you out there in that wicked world? Is that not the place for you? Where is the place for the salt? Where the meat is in danger of decomp decomposition, rub it in. That is what it was meant for. You are the light of the world. That suggests, that suggests the picture of a lamp upon a pedestal that may send out its ray, but it remains apart. But the champion metaphor suggests that, companion metaphor suggests that the closest possible contact in such contact is the duty for us as Christian people. Elijah ran away from his work. There are types of Christian life today unholy, unwholesomely self-engrossed too much occupied with their own spiritual condition to realize and discharge the duty of witnessing in the world. Wherever you find a Christian man, whether he's a monk with barefoot and a rope around him, his brown robe and shaven head, or whether it's the, the, the grab of modern Protestantism that tries to keep himself apart in the enjoyment and cultivation of his own religious life, than to fling himself in the midst of the world's worst evil in order to fight and to cure it. You get a man who's sharing in Elijah's transgression and needs Elijah, Elijah's rebuke. The intermingling is an inevitable in the present state of things and family, kindred, business, social, and political movements all require that Christian people should work side by side with men who are not possessors of the precious faith. If ever there have been individuals or communities that have tried to traverse that law, they have developed narrowness and bitterness and stunted growth and a hundred evils that we all know. An unknown one says that life is a journey that must be traveled alone, yet mysteriously together. We see this paradox in the parable of the wheat and the tares where there is an imperative separation, where evil and good must intermingle until the day of harvest. Much of all our lives lives outside these necessary conditions with the world, of which I have been speaking. The question for each of us is, what do we do when we're left to do as we like? Where do we go? 
when the iron weighted fasted by the bit of a, of a string is taken off a tree, it starts back to its original uprightness. Is that what your Christian, your Christianity required? And you are free. Where do you turn naturally? It is of no use to lay down special regulation. There's been far too many regulations and red tape in our Christianity all along. Do not let us put our so much stress upon the individual acts. Let us look at the spirit. Whether do I turn? What do I what do I like to do? What am I chosen companions what are my reactions what are my recreations is my life of such a sort that the world will point to me and say what you here I'm profession Christian Christianity what are you doing here a man is known by the company he keeps says an old Latin proverb I'm bound to say that I do not think that is a good sign of, of the depth of a Christian who professes religion if he feels himself more at home in the company of people who do not share his religion than in the company of those that do. I do not wish to be straight-laced and narrow, but I do not wish either to be so broad as to obliterate altogether the distinction between Christian people and others fact of the case is this, dear friends, if we are Christian servants, if we are Christ's servants, we have more in common with the most uncongenial Christian than we have with the most congenial man who is not a Christian. And if we are nearer to our master, we should feel that, that it was so. Being let go, they went to their own company, where do we go when we can make when you can make your own choice the great questioner comes to Elijah he comes to you and me what doest thou here Elijah God did not ask Elijah the question because he did not know the answer but because he wished to make Elijah put his mood into words since then Elijah would understand it a bit better when he found a tremendous difficulty of making a decent excuse, we begin to suspect that the conduct that wanted so much excuses was not exactly the conduct fit for a prophet. And so let us think that God was looking down upon us in our own occupation of our own free time, and that he's wishing us to put into words what we're about and why we're where we are. What do you think you would say if in some of these moments of unnecessary intermingling with the questionable things and doubtful people you were brought suddenly to this that you had to formulate into some kind of plausibility or reason for being there I'm afraid it would be a very lame and ragged set of reasons that many of us have to give. Well, better that we should now have to answer the question, what doest thou here, 
that we should have all, we should fail in answering the future question after we've done the world, after we're done with the world, what doest thou here? Dear brethren, let us cleave to Christ. That will separate us from the world. If we cleave to the world, that will separate us from Christ. I do not insist on details of conduct, but I do beseech thee, profession Christians, to recognize that you are set in the world in order to grow like your master, and that there are tendencies to help you, that likeness is the one test of all occupation, recreation, and companionship, by which we know whether we are in or out of the place that pleases him. And if we are in it, that blessed hope, which is held forth in the parable to which I have been already refer, will come full of sweetness and of strength to us, that yonder men will be grouped according to their moral and religious character, that the tares will be taken from the wheat, that as Christ says, then shall the righteous flame as the sun in the heavenly, as in their heavenly Father's kingdom. O saints of God, Elijah comes to us today that mountaintop experiences sometimes takes us into the valley of despair and hopelessness, where victories are all forgotten and you feel mighty low. Will you take a day's journey into the wilderness where you do not want to face anyone. You do not want to talk to anyone. You do not want to assume any responsibility. And you come to the determination that there is not any use in living. It is enough. I've had it. Take my life away. Suicide might be on your mind as it was on Elijah's mind. How sad. So, see how confused he is. He flees from death yet seeks it. The depressed person does not know what he wants. Finally, he flops down under a juniper tree and goes to sleep. Have you felt so down that all you could do was lie down? Have you felt that life is fruitless and useless? Well, I've come to tell you today that just as God tenderly cares for the depressed prophet, so he tenderly cares for you. And you can take comfort in this promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Keep doing the work of God, preaching good news to those lost souls, although you are now in the minority. Abandon the humanistic view that God is dead, and that he never existed and you were created by pure chance. Keep telling the world of the story of Jesus. He left eternity traveling into time to die for our lost souls. Tell the world that because of his grace he has not unleashed his full wrath upon us. But there is a coming day of judgment when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
O saints of God, we are thankful for John in the vision of the island of Patmos. For in his visions he saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down from God. The only way for you and I to be part of the new Jerusalem is to stay the course despite the difficulties we face. Are you looking forward to that new Jerusalem? To hear those faithful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. But before we can, we can be counted amongst those who have gone through great trials and tribulation. The Lord comes to Elijah because he comes to us with the most profound question. What doest thou here, Elijah? This, I believe, is God's question to his discouraged child. Elijah was trembling when he should have been trusting. Elijah was pouting when he should have been praising. Here is God's question to a Christian defeated by fear. What doest thou here, saint? Here is God's question to a Christian who thinks he has no purpose to live. What doest thou here, child of the Most High God? Here is God's question to a Christian who is overwhelmed by problems. What doest thou here, believer? Here is God's question to one focusing on the faults of others. What doest thou here? Here is God's question to one who is backslidden. What doest thou here? Here is God's question to one who remembers a better day. What doest thou here? Go forth so the Lord commissions Elijah. Go forth and stand on the mountain. What an experience he had. A great strong wind rents the mountains. The ground trembles beneath his feet. Stone falls. Tree burst into flame. Lightning strikes. While this commotion of God is not in it, had it to get his, he did it to get his attention. What must God do to get your attention? What doest thou here? Again, Elijah answered, but something happens between verse 14 and 15. And then Elijah, then gets Elijah on the move, he's commission, go. He's commission, go. And so, children of God, God says to go where I send thee. Where does he send you today? He sends you to preach the gospel to the lost souls. Where does he send you? He sent you to preach the gospel to a secular churches that has become a valley of dry bones, awash with a feel-good gospel of relativism and naturalism. Where does he send you? He sent you to a church that has been that has made so many so many concessions and promises and compromises and accommodations that the church can no longer be distinguished from the world. Where does he send you? He sends you to preach a good news to those who are trying to find meaning and purpose in life and they try to find it in philosophy, art, music, general culture and theology. 
and find themselves wandering in the wilderness of confusion. Where does he send you? He sends you to postmodern men to let him know that God is found in the antithesis and not in the synthesis. He sends you to remind mankind of God who's there. Where does he send you? He sends you to preach a message of hope to those who have been disenfranchised and marginalized. Let me say a few words before I conclude about the secular church. One of the messages, one of the message clear illustration in the life of Elijah is the devil's constant assault on the God's people. In a real sense, it states its states of the invisible war and manifesting itself on Mount Carmel. Just like Elijah's participants in the invisible war, we must be in guard against Satan's tactics. We are warned not only against his infusion of his own people in the Christian community, but also against the visible church's bureaucratic growth, which confused size and structure to, with spiritual fruit, and against the infusion of evil into the lives of even believing people, which confuse a loving and forgiving spirit with a reason to Christ's cause. In other words, where ought to be aware of the secular church and evangelical secularism as well. The secular church is do, dominated by the world as much of the contemporary churches. It is, it is characterized by the world's vision, the world's theology, the world's agenda, and the world's methods. The evangel evangelical church, when it is secular, is one that seeks God's work but in the world's way. It looks to the median money rather than to God and its power which is unleashed through prayer. What can the evangel evangelical church do? It finds that it seems means permeated by the yeast of Satan's tragedy. Under normal circumstances, yeast that has, been, has begun to work cannot be eradicated. That is why it is such a good picture of the evil that will be in the church and God until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But although in, in baking we would have little success in ridding the dough of the leaven, in the spiritual realm we can have success in ridding the dough of the leaven. In the spiritual realm we can have success at least where ourselves and perhaps our immediate families and the church are concerned. Paul writes to the Corinthians, Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be you may be able to have a new un, unleavened batch. In Galatians, where he has been talking about the yeast of legalism, he says, "For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery." Yes, saints of God, saint, Satan is active. Elijah did his part, sometimes reluctantly as ambassador in the invisible war. Stephen became the first martyr for the sake of the gospel, and even in state of agony he prayed for the lost, forgiving, forgive the Lord for, forgive them Lord for what they have done. The apostle Paul find himself shipwrecked and chained in a Roman jail, 
Yet he, in his desperate situation, he spoke with profundity. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of all to all who believe. Martin Luther stood up to the power of his day to declare that just shall live by faith. Salvation is available to all. Just accept Christ Jesus as your Savior, and this is the good news that the world needs to hear. Oh, there are countless others who have stood for righteousness and paid the ultimate price. Many that are nameless, but they are champions of those now recorded in Hebrews 11 as pillars of faith. But who can forget the events that took place on April 20th, 1999, when a group of high school boys took place in what is known as the Columbine Massacre, when they killed 15 of their classmates. The stories forever chiseled in my mind is the stories told of a young victim. When the gun was pointed at her, she was asked the question, Do you believe in God? And without hesitation, she responded, Yes. And immediately she was hushered into eternity. Things have not gotten better since. There is a great disdain for God. The yeast of the Pharisees is always at work. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, God meets us where we are. He's commissioned us to get moving. He sends you two by two, two by Paul and Silas, one by the bitty, bitty baby. Born born in Bethlehem he sends you in pairs so when the devil comes like an angel you will not get sidetracked and lose your way and so the question is ask of Elijah comes to us today what doest thou hear let's pray O oh God, even though we faint in our faith, we are thankful that you abided faithful. Lord, help us to understand that the best thing for a discouraged man is to get to where he can see from your viewpoint, which he can only do by coming before the Almighty in prayer. Gracious God, under law, you spoke to people with terror. But in the gospel of Christ, which was introduced in the power of the spirit of Elias, you speak by a still small voice, which makes none afraid. O God, your prayers that you will meet us, our prayers that you will meet us where we are, May it be that when we are given our commission and we are asked that so important question, what doest thou here? We can respond affirmatively that we are about our Father's business. Hear and bless our prayer, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen.